to be in the book of first, I'm sorry, Second Timothy tonight, if you'd like to turn with me, if you have a Bible and like to find your place. Not everybody brings their Bible to church on Wednesday nights. Second Timothy chapter 4. There were several things I had considered as far as preaching, and uh, if you know me very well, you know this is the case. I have really good sermons ready to go, and then they just kind of fall through the cracks at the last minute, and uh, I don't know if this one's going to be good or not, but this is what I believe the Lord's laid on my heart, and so Lord willing, we'll communicate it as he's spoken unto me with it. Second Timothy chapter number 4. If you would stand with me as we'll read a few verses here, beginning in verse number 1. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, beginning, it says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of the, thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatian. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with me, uh, with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I have left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord rewarded him according to his work. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. And my first answer, no man stood with me. But all men forsook me, I pray God that it may not be laid to their damage, I'm sorry, to their charge, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. We're going to stop right there and consider what will be our text verse tonight, back in verse 13, as he says, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. When thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. We're going to look at this and kind of consider this topic tonight, that the prioritized life. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we just want to dedicate and surrender this time to you. May you take your word and help us to understand it clearly, and would you... Over these next few minutes, allow us to be focused upon thee and upon what thou'd have for us. Pray that Satan would be bound, that the tempting and distractions that he would desire us to be 
overcome with would not be here, but instead that your presence might be manifest and you might be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I read all those verses. You could be seated tonight. I read all those verses because just to set the backstory of, of where Paul begins in this chapter, we find him encouraging Timothy. Timothy is, if there was anyone to be Paul's predecessor as far as his work, it would have been Timothy. He, he, I think he invested more time and energy into this young man than probably any one person. And he takes all the things that he's been working to um, encourage him with and, and grow him with and summarizes it here. I, I suppose you could call it a summary as he, for one, just encourages him to preach the word. And then he says, there's going to come a day when they're not going to want to hear the word. But he said, stay with it. Just because they don't want it doesn't mean you should change. If they change, just keep preaching the word. And then he goes on to say, by the way, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. He says, these are my last words to you, Timothy. It's, it, it's just a matter of time before I'm going to take my departure from this earth and go on up to heaven and leave you behind. But then he gets almost um, depressing, if you will, when he goes on and he says, and just as a reminder, Demas has forsaken me. All these friends of mine, it's not that they've you know, run off, but they've, they, they've got other ministries to fulfill. They've all left me. And then, you know, Alexander the coppersmith, he, he's really been working to cause problems with the ministry. And then he said, at, at the first, no man stood with me. I'm glad the Lord was still here because nobody else was with me. And he says, and he delivered me from the mouth of the lion. I don't think he was talking about a literal physical lion, but the adversaries that were around him and maybe directly considering the Satan being as a roaring lion. And he doesn't make this mention, but he could have said, and by the way, if you had forgotten, I'm in prison, Timothy. I'm here in Rome, and I don't have any freedoms or liberties. I don't have any real relief from the problems that I'm facing. Kind of, You might be sitting here and say, you know, that kind of sounds like my life. <laughs> don't have any friends, and it seems like everything's going downhill. But here, Paul, even though we don't know how old he is, but I suppose he's, he's at least, we could call him a mature believer, right? He's up there with the senior citizens. Whether he's old in age or not, we know his time here on earth is almost over. If you were to ask him, Paul, there's not a lot of time ahead, and you're in prison, I'm going to come and give you a quick visit, what should I bring with me? What do you want? Isn't it amazing when you ask someone, if you just ask a gen in the general population, what do you want, or even if you use the word need, what do you need? Most people would say more money, you know, a new car, a bigger house. Typically, it's always material and tangible. And I think even believers sometimes, you would Maybe go that route also. So for Paul, Paul, what do you need? Well, he tells us in that verse we read at the end, verse 13. He doesn't, the question is not asked him, but he goes ahead and tells us. He says, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, 
When thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Interestingly, in this verse, he summarizes really the makeup of a person. He speaks of the body, the soul, and the spirit. He begins by saying, that cloak that I left behind. Now, I don't know if this says anything about the character of Paul, if he wasn't, you know, absent with things, leaving things behind, you know, constantly. Oh, where did, what did, I, what did I do with those scrolls? What, where did I put my coffee mug? You know, where I left the coat, my coat behind. I, I, I'm not sure, but he knows exactly where he left it. And he says, when you come, don't forget my cloak. Now, that's interesting because we don't know exactly how prison life is going for him. If you were to study historically, there are still um, places you can go and see potentially the prison or something similar to it that he was housed in. And it wasn't quite like the prisons of the United States today. It was more like a hole that they were placed into, a very small compartment where, where they were forced to just be cramped in. And so you could kind of assume that maybe down in that prison hole, it was damp and moist and probably a little bit chilly. And he says, first and foremost, don't forget my cloak. Now, he doesn't say that's the priority as we're going to consider tonight, but he said it's part of the priority. And can I say today that though there's sometimes a, a emphasis on um, certain things in our world. If you haven't noticed recently, there is a huge emphasis on the body of people. I mean, everywhere you go, there are different methods by which you can lose weight or build muscle, right? I mean, there's vitamins, there's pills, there's equipment, there are, there are machines, there are, I mean, there, there are th there, 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 it's just everywhere. All, uh, you, you know, you can look on the internet and there's always ads that say, you know, this is going to increase your physical makeup of who you are. But it's always the attention is on the outside. And can I say today that first of all, as bodies, we're living in bodies and he begins by putting some emphasis on the body. He says, don't forget my cloak. It's important to me. Now, I don't think it was important because, you know, his great-grandma passed it down to him. I think it was important because he realized to some degree there was a need to take care of his physical body. The Bible tells us that we are made up really into three parts, our body, our soul, and our spirit. Our, our, our body is what you see and what I see today. When I look at you, I don't see your spirit. Now, your Spirit might be reflected upon your body, but I don't specifically see your spirit. I don't see your, um, your feelings. Now, they may be represented by what's going on on the outside, but often you could hide those as well. But I can always see your body, right? If I can't see your body, you're probably not there. And if you can't see me, I'm not here, right? So if, if you, we can see each other, which we can, our bodies are present. And we are living in a body today. And though there's a great emphasis on this in the world system, I think we need to understand to some degree there ought to be an emphasis placed upon, it, upon believers. Now again, we'll get to it in a moment. This is not the number one priority, right? But how we serve is affected by the body that we're living in. 
I go to the nursing home almost every week and see people who are born-again believers. They love the Lord. They desire to serve the Lord. But in some ways, some of them are hindered to the point where basically the only thing they can possibly do, humanly speaking, is pray. Because they're invalid. They're, they're, they're confined to a bed. Or they're confined to a chair. They're in a location sometimes that they literally cannot get up and even get into a chair. And without the function of our body, there's a limitation upon us. I've talked to, I remember immediately this thought comes to my mind. I don't think anyone would know him. I don't remember his name. He's, all I know is he was in Iowa. We went and helped do some work on a church when I was in teen, a teenager with another, a different church. Um, and I was sitting, we, he took us out to eat. There was a group of us that went to work with him. And um, we went to this, this pizza buffet, like pizza barn or something like that. They have them up in Iowa. And uh, it was pretty good pizza. It was like an all-you-can-eat. It was like the little CC, or the CCs of the north. And uh, we're eating, and, you know, naturally there was another, an older man with us who was, who was a preacher, and, and we're, we're talking and fellowshipping and, you know, complaining and all the other stuff believers do when they're eating. And he made this statement. He said, um, somehow it got to talk, they talk, it got to talking about food, and, and he said, yeah, I know there's, there's people that say, well, you know, we're not supposed to be addicted to anything. They'd think I'm addicted because I'm drinking a Coke. And he was about 80 pounds overweight. And I wanted to say, you know, well, I'm probably right there with you. Now, I, I obviously didn't say that. And I'm not criticizing the man or his character or his spirituality. But can I say today that to the world, there ought to be something different about us when people see us. I think there ought to be something different even from the outside. That when they behold you, when the world sees you, they can't always see your spirit. They can't always see your mind or your heart or your attitude from a distance, but they can always see your body. And I think there ought to be an emphasis to some degree upon the body of the believer. I want to look back in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, if you would turn with me just to the left a little ways. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 19 Paul here writing also says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In the second half of verse number 19, it says, And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He says, Your body... Along with your spirit, yes, but your physical body belongs to God. And often we use this verse in talking with maybe young people and saying, you know, you ought to abstain from alcohol use and tobacco use and drug use. And I would say very definitely you ought to because it has a tendency to break down and ruin your body. But sometimes we kind of just stop there and say, you know, well, you know, it really doesn't matter, you know, your appearance and how you take care of yourself and, and all those good things. Now, I realize there's almost this, there's this middle ground. Because, again, there's a great emphasis in our world upon your, your health. And I, don't th I think you can go way overboard here. Where you put the 
priority number one upon the outside and upon the body. But instead it ought to be in its rightful place. Paul here begins with this, but he doesn't end with that. Let me look at one more verse. If you, you can just listen. Most of you would know this verse. I think if I were to ask you, what is our purpose as a creation of God? What, what are we here to do? Most people would agree and say it's to glorify God. In Revelation 4.11, the writer John says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. We are part of that creation. Why were we created? And for Thy pleasure, they are and were created. He says, You're worthy to, to receive glory, and Your creation ought to bring You pleasure. We as the creation of God ought to be pleasurable to God. How we live, how we invest our time, how we take care of ourselves, what we choose to do and how we act ought to bring glory and pleasure to God. If you would make your way back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, the cloak, in verse 13, that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books. There are a few places in scripture that intrigue me and I would love to know exactly what those mysterious things or people or whatever the subject is were and this is one of them. He asked for these books as if everyone should know what he's talking about. Now apparently someone did know what he was talking about but I can't say that I do or anyone else truly does. But he puts a, a distinction between this and the parchments. Were they historical books? Were they, you know, Western cowboy books? Were they, I, I really don't know what they were. But to me, it seems as though it wasn't scripture, maybe, you know, some type of, you know, commentary, or maybe it was a journal that he had kept. But they, were, they obviously were important to Paul. Here he says, make sure you bring those books with you. I left my coat and I left my books behind. Don't forget my books. Now, I don't know if he doesn't tell us because we wouldn't understand the titles or the reference or the meaning. Or if he just wanted to help us understand there's a need not only for the physical or the body... But there also ought to be a need in our life to prioritize the soul or the inside of us. I'm not, not separate it from the spirit, the part that God works in and uses us in, but the, the 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 mind and the will, the emotions of a person. All of us have that. All of us have a a part of us that is separate from our body and even separate from our spirit because even lost people have this. Lost people can think, lost people can feel, lost people can love. There's a separation, but it's still within us. And I believe here he, he maybe not purposely, but I think it's interesting how the, this distinction is between first our body and, and now our, our soul or our mind and our will, our emotions. He makes this mention to bring the books. Paul, you're, you're ready to be offered up. You're in prison. 
you don't have a lot of time. What do you want to do? He says, I got a good book that I haven't finished. I, I, I want to finish up on some reading. I think most of us as parents, if I said to our young people, young people, you ought to be reading books, good books, most parents would say, amen. And if I said to our young people, you ought to be taking advantage of opportunities to learn, most adults, maybe every adult in this room would say, amen. Don't worry, teenagers, you ready? Let's turn the question around. Mom and dad, what's the last book you read? When's the last time you put any emphasis in your life on reading? Is this just something you preach to your children or is this something you live out? You say, I don't have time. <laughs> yeah, I know, none of us have time. Paul didn't have time either, right? He was busy with the ministry. He had all the pressures around him. Not only that, but he's in prison. Yet he said, I want my books because there's something about them that's going to encourage and strengthen me. He gives us this kind of this litmus test for almost everything we could do back in Philippians, a few pages to the left in your Bible from Timothy, Philippians chapter 4 in verse 8, you say, well, what kind of books should I read? He says in chapter 4 in verse 8, he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Could I say, and I, I can't say I can take the Bible and dogmatically tell you that you ought to be consistently reading good books, but I think the, the pattern in the scripture can tell us that. All through the book of Proverbs, yes, he says get wisdom, and I think wisdom ultimately comes from God. That's the ability to take instruction and take our um, our ideas and our understanding and put them into practice and make right decisions based upon them but alongside with wisdom throughout the book of proverbs he all often says seek instruction and seek knowledge right he says it's important there's a value on it if you study the lives of Wealthy people, nearly all of them read books. I told someone today in jail, he was an inmate in jail, he was arguing with the nurse, and uh, sometimes I can be just as sassy as them, and I used the nurse's name, and I said, you know, the nurse is um, talented and intelligent, and I, I complimented the nurse, and then I said, you'd probably be smart to stop arguing with her, and... Uh, and then he started arguing with me how he doesn't really argue with the nurse. And I said, you know, this kind of applies to all matters of life. If someone is smarter and wealthier and, you know, more talented than you, instead of arguing with them, maybe you should try doing the things that they're doing and it might encourage you to be more like them. One of those things is reading. If you study the lives of great or famous people, and I mean great in the sense of true accomplishments, most of them, I think I can truly say most of them were active readers. There's an old statement that said not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. And to some degree, I think that's true. And I think we can even say as it applies to the Apostle Paul, Paul took a 
made a desire to continue, even though he's at toward the end of his life, even though he's at a place where there's not a lot more going for him, he said, I need my books because I can find encouragement here. I, I can maybe take the accounts of others. Maybe he was reading, you know, some, some works that they wrote about the, the ministry of Jesus or the miracles or, or maybe just in his own life some of the, the accomplishments that he had seen and he was refreshing his mind on those things and he was staying up to date. I think there's a great failure even among believers in thinking that this isn't all that important. Here Paul says, as we prioritize things, there needs to be a balance, but some of your time needs to be focused on your body. Some of your, your, your time needs to be focused on your mind or your soul. But then he concludes here, back in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and says, but especially the parchments. No doubt I believe he's speaking of the scriptures here. And he says, I need my coat because it's cold. I need my books because I want to stay up to date and current and encouraged. But he says, Timothy, if you forget all those other things, don't forget the parchments. Now again, was he... Was he a little bit forgetful in that he forgot to bring his Bible with him? No, I don't think so. I think there were other scriptures. I mean, this is literally in the time where the scriptures were being fulfilled and completed. And maybe he had realized that Paul had just finished, or I'm sorry, Peter had just finished his epistles. Maybe he hadn't completely read all the epistles of James. Maybe as the gospels were being wrapped up, he knew that there was a little bit more information that he had failed to receive. And he said, don't forget, bring me the parchments. As I said a moment ago, often our, our excuse for not praying is we don't have time. Sometimes our excuse for not reading is we don't have time. And then we find ourselves saying the same thing about getting into the word of God. We just don't have time. Yet, we all have the same amount of time in the day. We all have the same days in the week, and we all have the same weeks in the year. Christmas is still going to be on December 25th. It's an inside joke with our teens. We made the comment, someone made the comment in December how it always sneaks up on them. So I've been reminding them ever since that this year, December 25th, 2023, is going to be Christmas. So if you get behind every year, now's the chance to start buying your Christmas presents. Just be ready. It's coming around. It'll be here in no time. And because of that, maybe it would be wise for us to realize, hey, the morning's going to come also. If we're here and alive to tell, uh, tell the story, tomorrow morning the sun's going to come up. And you're going to have to go about your, your chores and your schoolwork or your, go to your job or whatever it might be that takes your time. So maybe instead of just waiting to the end of the day and saying, I didn't have time for some of these things, maybe we should start now by saying, what's the priority in my life? I mean, if I were to ask you personally, where are your priorities? What, what are the things that you value? What, what are the things that you place the most amount of time on? Maybe what steals your time? And if we would really think about it and consider it, most of us could probably identify both things. 
What do we enjoy doing and create time for? And what do we find ourselves allowing time to be wasted on? Paul says, especially the parchments. Why did he want the parchments? Well, I don't think he just wanted them to display on his you know, cell wall. I don't think he wanted them for any physical you know, benefit. If you haven't figured it out yet, I think he wanted them to read and study. He, he wanted to be growing in the scriptures. He realized there was a great need. You say, well, he's the Apostle Paul. He, he saw Christ. He heard his voice. He had been ordained as an apostle. He, he had been chosen to be a missionary to the Gentiles. Yet he understood that there was a priority for him to be currently and consistently in the scriptures. Look just over and across the page, probably for most of you, in chapter number 3 of 2 Timothy. He speaks to Timothy in verse 15 and says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Why do you want the, the, the parchments? Maybe it was because it, he knew the fact that it could help keep him from sin and that it gives us victory over temptation and that it teaches us who God is, the attributes of God and how we ought to live and, and, and that frees us from offense and liberate, liberates us with his grace. And he knew the value of the parchments. Yes, the coat was important to keep his back warm. Yes, the books were important to keep his mind busy. But the parchments were important because he knew it was going to feed his spirit. The Bible teaches us and tells us that the fruit of the spirit, and it says all those things that most of us struggle to be, right? The fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering gentleness and patience I always miss a few but you know what they are and then the fruits of the flesh are just the opposite the fruits of the flesh are impatience and hatred and anger the the evidence of the flesh are all the things we say we don't want to be we don't want our children to be we don't like being here Paul says there's a value of the body, there's a value of the soul, but there ought to be an emphasized value of the spirit. Because the spirit is the only thing that's going to allow us to truly affect others as we witness and encourage and preach to them. The spirit's the only thing that's really going to bring about a change as we minister to people. The, the, the spirit is really the only thing that's going to give us the peace and the joy in time of adversity, and the only thing that's going to allow us to overcome the temptations that are around us. See, you could read plenty of self-help books and say, you know, I'm going to strive to be a better person, but we don't just need to be better people. We need to be more Christ-like. And the, the mind and the will is not going to allow you to fully be Christ-like, but the Spirit will. So there ought to be a prioritized emphasis 
on the Spirit. There are people who in their body are full of self-control. They're dedicated to exercise. They're dedicated you know, to nutrition. And on the outside, they're just this, this specimen that we all envy. There are some that put a great emphasis on the mind and they're very intelligent and they have a lot of knowledge and there's a, there's a vast and, and seemingly infinite amount of information. But none of those things are truly going to allow you to be complete or fulfilled in this world. But can I tell you something today that as a believer, and I believe this is why so many Christians are frustrated and struggling because there may be a, an emphasis on some of those things, but the spirit life is not really where it ought to be. It's not growing. It's not, there's no priority placed upon it. I was reading the other day in a book about prayer, and uh, the author was talking about sometimes we, we still get hung up, even in our prayer life, on this, on the, almost the, um, the works of the law or the, um, almost like we're under the law when we pray and we say, well, I've got to pray because I've been commanded to pray and it's the only way I can overcome, you know, temptation and it's the only way I can commune with God. It almost becomes this laborious activity instead of saying, no, I'm under grace and the grace allows me to pray. I may not be very good at praying. I don't have to come to God and somehow, um, you know, come to where he is for, for us to hear him, and instead I can just bow before him and find the grace that he offers me. And over here is that spirit life. Now, does that mean we never maintain our bodies? No. Does that mean we just throw out the idea of keeping our minds in check? No. But can I say today that all of us, every person in this room ought to daily prioritize time for the spirit, for the spirit life. What do I mean by that? Well, he mentions here, but especially the parchments. Turn over for just a minute to the book of um, 2 Peter. This is a familiar portion of scripture to many. 2 Peter, in verse number... <clears throat> Let's begin in verse 16. 2 Peter 1.16 says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What an interesting and really powerful statement that Peter could say, we saw him. We heard his voice. And he goes on to talk about seeing literally his glory when he says, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, look at those next two words, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He says, I can verify, I was on the mount of transfiguration when the body of Christ was glorified there. And it was so bright and so powerful, we couldn't look upon it. And we fell to the, the, the ground, but we heard a voice out of heaven. We heard the very words of God. But then he goes on and says in verse 18, 
uh, verse 19 rather, he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. He says, I give you something that's more relevant, that's more sure. You can take this to the bank. You can stand upon it. You can live by it. You can allow it to direct your life and make your decision. What is it? He tells us down there at the, the bottom half or the, uh, the next verse when he says, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. He said the scripture is open for all to read and understand. There's nothing hidden from a certain group of people or a certain class of people. You can open the word of God. You can go to the scriptures and you can receive it for yourself. Why did he say this was a more sure word? I don't think he was saying it because hearing God's voice is less powerful than reading his word. But we're looking at a page that was written 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine trying to pass down those words from person to person and how manipulated the story would be? He says, I might forget some of the events. I might even say them in a way where they didn't really happen. I mean, after all, he forgets to mention that he wanted to build those tabernacles and, and the Lord said, hush up and listen. That's the whole reason he said, here, listen to my son because we didn't want to hear you, Peter. There's a temptation for bias. There's a temptation to leave out events. But he says the prophecy that was given through the scriptures is complete and concise and you can take it to the bank. Look at verse 19 there though. After he says we also... Uh, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. It says, whereunto ye do well. He said, this will be a benefit for you. You're going to do well if you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. He said, as you travel through life in the darkness of this world, he said, you'd do well if you could get your eyes upon the light of the word of God and keep your eyes on it. He said, until there's more, maybe a more clear path for you to follow until either the Lord calls you home or maybe you better understand scripture and it leads you a different way. There are times as you've read the scriptures that God has opened a door for you and, and hopefully you could testify to this that the scriptures has led you to make a decision or to encourage you to invest time or energy in a certain um, aspect of the ministry. But there may be, come a time where the very word of God causes you to see a need for change in some area of your life and to redirect you. He says, as you travel the, the, the night path, as the psalmist said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And he said, you'd do well to keep your eyes and your focus on this light. Paul understood the need to prioritize the spirit. And he said, the one way I can physically do so, the one thing I need that's tangible is the word of God. There are other things that come about through this, but the instruction, the how-to of living in this and walking in the spirit is found in the word of God. The encouragement is through the word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He said, we find sanctification and cleansing through the word of God. We find direction through the word of God. We find how to pray 
and the influence of prayer through the Word of God. The Word of God ought to be valued in our life. There are other things to life than just the Spirit, but the Spirit should always have the priority. Let me read one more verse for you today. In 1 Corinthians 9, I think is where I want to go. We'll stay in 9. That's not what I wanted, but it's close. Chapter 9 and verse number 25, he says, And every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have Preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says there's a need to keep your body in subjection. You ought to have your body, your physical body under control. But you ought to have your mind under control. But your spirit also ought to be under control also. Today, if you were to evaluate your own life, and you were to ask, or maybe just answer this question, in my life, where's the priority? What takes my time the most? Where do I invest the most amount of energy and effort? And if there are things that I know I ought to be doing, why don't I do them? Is it really that I don't have enough time? Or is that my time is being placed upon the wrong thing? Is there time wasted? Is there time stolen? Is there time that's idle? Can I encourage you, if you have some priority on the body, don't stop. I encourage our teenagers, especially our young men. There's a challenge in Ecclesiastes that young men ought to be able to bear the burden in their youth. There's The, the Bible has some emphasis on young men being strong. Read chapter 31 of Proverbs and it has some emphasis on women being strong too in a different way, but same of the, the body. As you read the scriptures, you find there's an emphasis on the mind. Daniel wouldn't have gone to stand before Nebuchadnezzar if he wasn't learned in science and in the Chaldean language. But because of his strength of the mind, he was able to be very useful for God in Babylon. And if you have an emphasis on the mind, keep it up. But unless the spirit life has the priority, maybe we need to rearrange some things and put the priority upon my walk with God, my time in the word, my time in prayer, my energy become more like Christ.